You're listening to The Dealmaker's Edge with A.Y. Strauss, diving deep into stories behind commercial real estate leaders. Welcome to The Dealmaker's Edge. Today, we're excited to be joined by Scott Sherman, founder and principal of Tarot's Equities. Tarot's is a Miami-based real estate investment firm focused on value-add, urban retail, office, and mixed-use opportunities in the Southeast. Scott handles the strategic direction, sourcing deals, overseeing capital markets, and operations for the firm. Prior to the current firm, Scott co-founded Tricera Capital, where he led the team in building a $700 million portfolio in a five-year span. Scott, we've known each other for a long time, and welcome to the Dealmaker's Edge today. Thanks, Aaron, and thank you for having me on the show. So, Best way to kick off, I find, easiest way to kick off, just for our listeners, maybe you could talk about some of your earlier career, where you grew up, sort of how you got started in the business. Uh, happy to. So um, I actually, I grew up in South Florida, so born and raised down here. And uh, I grew up in Plantation, which is a suburb of Fort Lauderdale. I'm based in Miami now, so not too far. Went to school down here. I'm a state college guy. Went to University of Florida, go Gators. And uh, and then decided to move up to New York and cut my teeth in the big city after college. And so, you know, moved up when I guess I was 21 years old. Started my career, I actually was a, an accounting major. I got a master's of accounting and started my career at Ernst & Young in the real estate group and got my CPA. So I'm a CPA by background. Probably not a lot of people actually know because I don't really tell people. I feel like people judge you when you tell them you're a CPA. <laughs> so for better or worse. And so, you know, I did that for a couple of years. It was a great background and foundation to have, although the accounting world was really not as uh, exciting to me. And I, I was itching to kind of get out and be more of a deal maker. So I ended up going over to work with a family office called Becker Brothers in the city, uh, where I uh, I really, I'd say I credit them with really starting my foundation on on the deal side, understanding more of the deal, the operations and how to actually, you know, run assets. And I was with them for a little over three years. And then I went over to Thor Equities, where I spent almost seven years in New York with Thor, uh, really leading their new market acquisition. So I was I was kind of flying around all over the place before I had kids. Um, did a deal in London, a deal in France, a deal in Canada. I was doing stuff in New York, Brooklyn. Uh, and then I was building out their Florida portfolio and looking at other markets, uh, such as Nashville at the time, um, Austin, a few other markets. Never ended up doing anything with them in those markets. But um, it was a great experience, a, a great place to work, and really did a ton of deal flow over that period of time. That led me to then moving back to Miami about seven years ago. And that was really more for personal family, lifestyle things. My wife's also from Miami. And we just had our first son. So it just kind of was natural point for us to kind of come down so i'd like to say i kind of was ahead of the curve because obviously everyone's moving down today but i beat the rush seven years ago uh and at that time decided to then kind of go off on my own and and, and launch uh my first company called tricera capital with a, a, par- a former partner of mine and uh we built that as you mentioned and uh and now as of this past summer kind of doing uh new venture 2.0 and uh launched toros equities and really excited about this new vehicle as well very exciting and a great overview. And I think we met back when you were at Becker Brothers. So we really so. Just, we do go back a long way. Um, I know. And it's really great to see your career evolve. There's so many angles to, to get started in this. And I appreciate that overview. Maybe we can just sort of jump to the beginning of Tricera because that's really when you started to spread your wings, start doing your own deals primarily. You had that sort of wonderful experience leading acquisitions at Thor, which is obviously a major player. But maybe you could talk about the transition from leaving a big company to starting from scratch. Obviously, wonderful time to be in Miami and the deals you've done, but just sort of that early experience 1.0, be great to hear. 
Yeah, look, it, it's it's always, um, you know, there's never a, a perfect time. It's always a little kind of scary to kind of leave a, a, you know, a good job with a good paycheck and kind of try to strike out on your own. Um, but I just felt like, you know, I was ready. And so it, it's really, it's interesting because you kind of change, you trade one stress for another, right? The stress of working for someone, uh, answering to them and, and, and trying to, you know, feed the machine that way versus now you... You have employees, so you're responsible for other people's livelihoods. You're building a company. So again, I have a CPA background, so I, I like that stuff. But you know, the operational side, really understanding, you know, the cash burn rate of a company and how you're going to kind of grow it over time. While at the same time, I'm trying to also be the deal maker and, and do deals, raise capital, and and uh, and finance them. So you're wearing a lot of hats, but it, it's a lot of fun. You just got to manage it. But I always say, intrinsically, it's it to me, it's always been a lot more rewarding, right? When you're doing it for yourself and, and kind of feeling the you know the benefits firsthand and so and not just you know monetarily but also just with the team that you build and the people around you over time it's just it, it's it's a very rewarding thing and so it's it's you know we kind of hit the ground running and you know built a pretty big portfolio quickly uh with tricera and so it was really a, a great i say first go at building a building a company from the ground up amazing maybe you could talk about some of the deals specifically i know you did the the cube winwood office building you did the Palm Beach Post site. You've done a lot of interesting deals and so many people on this show come on. It's multi, multi, multi. <laughs> Obviously, Miami is its own universe of deal making. But you know, to be creative in office, to be creative in retail, creative in mixed use, even in the Miami market, it's still more nuanced than a lot of other deals people have done. Maybe you could talk about some of those deals you've done and some of the success you've experienced with them. Yeah, of course. I mean, look, you, you kind of hit it, right? It's, it's, and when I talk to investors a lot of times, everyone's always looking at multi and just feels like that's the safest asset class to understand. I've always been a little bit more contrarian in how I like to think and approach things. Um, you know, my, my favorite quote of all time is, is Warren Buffett, be greedy when people are fearful and fearful when people are greedy. And so just, you know, over the last, called the five years, I mean, everyone, all the capital, all the institutions, everyone was chasing two things. They were chasing multi and industrial. And so to me, right, I, I saw a lot of opportunity in retail and office because there's not as much capital chasing. Now, it makes it harder to execute, get those deals capitalized and closed. But assuming you can solve those items, I think there's a lot more value because you're not chasing and bidding up pricing against a lot of people. But what I say is, you know, you, you can't just generalize. So all retail isn't bad and all office isn't bad. And, and that's even more applicable today on the office side. I mean, retail's already starting to become a little bit more of a favorable asset class again. But you got to really get more granular and, and get into the submarkets. What, you know, again, just making it more relevant to today, let's talk office for a second, right? I mean, office in New York City and San Francisco today, I think, are pretty scary, right? But not all office scary. So, I mean, you look at you know places like Florida, specifically where I am, you still see a, a ton of job growth, a ton of migration, companies coming down here, people moving down here. Office is still performing well. Fundamentals of office how, really haven't, you know, in, in the right location, right markets really haven't fallen off like you're seeing and hearing and reading in the headlines. And so for me, you know, I kind of like when there's negative headlines because then it's like, okay, well, where is there really opportunity? Is uh, I'm sure there there is still some good pockets and, and good strategies within these spaces, and so that's really how I like to do it. So that kind of pivoting to you know one of the deals you mentioned, which is the cube, 
which uh, you know, I'm very proud of. It's a deal that we acquired. So it was a vacant, pretty much an almost all vacant office building in Wynwood, a very exciting neighborhood. And we bought that in late 2020, in the middle of COVID, when the world was shut down, no one knew what was going to happen. No one knew if anyone was ever going to go back to the office. We have a vacant office building. The only office tenant in the building at the time was Spaces, which was in bankruptcy, shedding leases left and right. <laughs> and so here we are buying it. You know, so why did we buy, right? One, we I had conviction in the market. I believe in women long term. The bones of the building were great. It was a new building. We're buying the distress that we were wiping out all the equity. We were buying this thing at a basis that to me just felt really, really good. So, you know, kind of fast forward today, you know, we paid twenty eight million for that asset. At the time I think conservatively we're underwriting I think like thirty eight dollar rents. We're like if we can get thirty eight dollar rents, it still works. Okay. I got to tell you, it was probably the hardest deal I've ever capitalized in my career from an equity and a debt perspective. I mean, we ended up with a, a 50% loan from a bank on this. Okay, Again, We wiped out probably about $15 million of equity already. <laughs> At our new basis, we got a 50% loan and we, the lender still requires to sign recourse on it. And it was wow. just, it, it was like the first loan I, I, I signed personally on. And it just, I was like, there's no way the value's going to get wiped out that low that we we're going to, I think. That's incredible. Well, risk. Go ahead. And, and where do the rents are today, you think of that? Within a year of acquiring it, we were basically fully leased. We actually are, are we just signed a deal in the building north of $70 a foot. Wow. Okay. Wow, that's And we're in contract to sell. We're actually, we're supposed to be closing today. I think that's going to actually close next week. So by the time this airs, hopefully, <laughs> this deal would have closed and it's going to be a, uh, a very large number. It's It's got a six handle in front of it and we pay 20 That's amazing. That's so, amazing. You know, just tearing through the noise and sometimes finding the right opportunities is kind of what we like to do. That's huge. What a great story. And I think the bottom line is when everyone is afraid, it's very hard to have that conviction. You had that conviction somehow or other. Your investors had that conviction. That was a year people were definitely not buying much. Well, people did buy more towards the end, but office certainly. No one could have seen the way Miami would respond overall vis-a-vis other states and how it boomed beyond that. So that's amazing. And the fact that you would be willing to record a podcast while you have a closing going on, let that be a lesson to all the other potential guests who sometimes may not want to jump on the podcast. I really appreciate it, Scott. Now, fast forward more till today, you just spun out a brand new company. Strategically, what are sort of some of the overarching plans, goals, product types? How will it differ, if at all? So, no, it's, it's a good question. I'd say it's, it's been very refreshing. I took summer um, once I kind of separated with my uh, former partner and, and just kind of cleared, cleared my head and really started to think about things. You know, with Tricera, I really led the strategy on the acquisitions front, uh, you know, putting the deals together. That was, that was more of kind of my, uh, my role there. And so uh, what I've been telling a lot of people at Toros, because they're like, well, what's going to be the difference, right? A, a lot of the strategy, the acquisition strategy is going to be the same. It's still my strategy that I, I want to deploy. Obviously, it's always evolving because I'm looking at the, the markets and the, and the moments of time and seeing where I can exploit opportunities. But I don't think a lot is going to change from kind of the type of assets I want to target. Uh, and I can even touch on some of the ones we're already in the in the process of buying because we've, we've already built a pretty nice pipeline quickly. I also was able to take my key team uh, with me. So, so basically my CFO from Tricera, who's been, been with me since day one, he came over with me to Toros. I actually made him a, a partner in the company. He's invaluable. His name's Ari Sasson. And, and so he came with me and, and really is my my number two guy, but someone that I wouldn't do it without. And we also brought um, another guy with me who was our director of acquisitions, also invaluable to me and, and kind of really critical on the deal flow diligence on the writing side as well as um, by the name of Aaron Kay. And so 
The three of us are kind of the core team that ran every acquisition at Tricera. So we all came together and launched this. And so the beauty of that is it's really allowed for a very seamless transition. I mean, we, we basically, you know, turned on the switch, opened up the office, launched the company. And as deal flow starts coming in, everyone knew what they had to do, right? There was no learning curve. We had process. We knew how to, you know, how we like to underwrite, how we like to look at things. And again, you know, the investor base that I built my relationships with the, with over my whole career are still, you know, very interested in what we're doing. And so it's been very, very, I'd say seamless and really, um, I guess, personally, I guess, rewarding to see how, how well we've been able to kind of just transition. But taking all that said, I know I'm doing a lot of talking, you know, reflecting on what would I do differently, right? Because obviously I have the chance, I have a blank canvas again to kind of reset and think about things differently. And so I see the two big things differently is the first time, obviously I was still building my first track record and, and kind of starting from scratch. So we did a lot of smaller deals early on. I really would like to stay away from kind of the sub $10 million deals. It's just, it takes just as much time to do a $5 million deal as a $50 million deal most of the time. And so I just would rather start to focus on a larger deal size. And so that's kind of one piece of it. The other piece, I think, is just how we're going to build out the organization. So at Tricera, we really did try to keep a lot of things in-house, really vertically integrate the prop from property management to asset management to the leasing as well. I think this time around, I'm going to try to third party and, and bring in the best experts in each market for the leasing and the property management. And we'll be more asset management and kind of execution focused and be a little leaner as an organization. So I think those are the two main differences I'm, I'm focused on this time around. Well, well answered, and thank you for that. Now, to talk about a little bit, you hinted to it. You always have a pipeline. You've had a pipeline. The minute I met you all these years later, it made over the years. But maybe talk about your current pipeline, deals you're looking at, deals maybe maybe you're comfortable talking about, maybe not, maybe things are an LOI or contract, but just actually what you're seeing in this sort of weird time in the market and what you're going yeah. after. Yeah, 100%. I mean, look, I'm a deal junkie. So I'm always looking, I can't, you know, you can't turn it off. Even when I was trying to relax over the summer, it was hard. Um, <laughs> but um, with that said, you know, we, we've quickly come out of the gate and, and really have been more focused on exploiting office today. Because again, I think the, the headlines on office are, are bad. Are people coming back to the office? I'm a big believer that people are coming back to office. I think 22 is going to be, I think, the end, end point. And I think you're going to start to see in here in 23, more companies saying you got to get back to the office. Whether that's five days a week or three days a week or four days a week, that that will be seen. But people need to have an office. Um, I really believe that. I think you need to be with your colleagues, have that kind of collegial thing that you really can't get over Zoom. I also think that there's another aspect to that that people aren't talking about yet that I, I think people should be, which is all these younger professionals who, who maybe just started their career, graduated college in the last two, three, four years, right? I mean, I, could, I just think about myself when I started right out of college. I mean, if I was, if I got a job at a company working remotely, I have no access to my senior people, listening to them, hearing them, seeing how they interact, going to meetings. I mean, my, my growth as a professional would be stunted. And so I just think that a lot of these younger professionals that are in that position right now are not growing professionally the way they could if they had office environment. And so I think that's a, that's a huge miss that I think people are going to start to recognize. And so I say all that because I believe in office, but in the right markets. And so we're, we're very bullish on Florida office. We're in contract. Uh, we're actually, we're hard in closing in January on a 350,000 square foot office building and um, that we're really excited about. I think we're buying it extremely well just because of all the things I mentioned. The last piece of the puzzle that I haven't mentioned yet, that's probably even the hardest part of getting an office deal done today is the financing. Banks are terrified of office. And so 
getting financing is first time in my career, I think financing is harder than equity. We're figuring it out though. At the end of the day, you only need one lender that's willing to lend. And it's just a lot harder to get them to the finish line, but we're, we're finding them. And so we're getting that deal closed. We're really excited about. We have another one in the pipeline right behind it, a, a very large office deal here in Miami that I can't talk specifics, but I'm very excited about. And then we're pursuing a, um, another office deal that's going to be more of a unique recap situation, which I think we're going to see more of next year. But this one's in Atlanta where you know, you're seeing an institutional equity LP saying we don't want to put any more money and we're going to walk from the deal. And we're basically stepping in, recapping at the MES lenders basis. The MES and senior are going to stay in. And then we're coming in with the original operating partner and co-GPing it, recapping the deal at a new basis and kind of hitting the reset button. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really excited. Hopefully we can see more of those types of opportunities looking forward. You know, a lot of it's been in the office space like that. We're also doing one ground up retail deal on the West coast of Florida, Bonita Springs that, that came to us through a, uh, another partner that, that we're doing it with. And that's, that's really exciting as well. Cause we still, I've been talking a lot about office, but we still really love retail. I mean, my roots from the Thor days obviously was retail focused. Um, and I also did not mention when I, when I talked about the core team I brought on, we also recently added a fourth member to the Toros team who also had previously been at Tricera, but left and, and then was working for someone else and has since come to work for me. And he really is coming on to oversee all the leasing and, and the retail portfolio as we build it. And he's got a really, really diverse and deep network on that side. And you know, one of the things about retail that we pride ourselves on is really having that knowledge, understanding of the tenant base and how to find the right tenants and curate. And so I brought him on to really add that piece of the puzzle to our team as we grow. That's great. And what a statement. First of all, those those deals all sound like they play to your strengths, both both prior career, you know, whether you're at Thor or even prior to that, but obviously in the prior firm too. So that's very exciting. And the recap deal, you're going to see a lot more of that. That's for sure. I fully agree with you on the office side. I spoke to a senior executive at some big company just last week and he said, you know, the thing about office is it comes down to this, when it's time for the layoffs, which invariably will come, the first group of people go are the, all the kids, we don't even know who they are. <laughs> the people who just didn't show up, didn't build a relationship with anybody, thought that office would never be back. It's easier to terminate a relationship with somebody who you don't actually have much of a relationship with. But ideally, you can find a way to blend. I think you've done a great job of that. And it's funny, the comment with respect to, funny, I don't know if that's the right word, but it's compelling that debt is harder than equity. It's something I have not maybe heard in my entire working career. I don't know if you had either, but no. it's, it's remarkable. <laughs> yeah. It's remarkable. And what they say, you know, you um, you marry the, the basis, you, you, you date the rate, something like that, something cheesy. Very cool. You got a very active deal flow. You're in the middle of closing a deal. You've got a lot coming. Your team is growing. What type of talent more would you want to attract? If someone's listening to this, it's obviously a very exciting growth journey you're on. Uh, what type of talent would you want to attract to the team today who's listening to this? Yeah, I mean, it's always a good question. I'd say it, it's it's always dependent on what, you know, where the needs are at the time. But, you know, as I'm always thinking about what are the next piece of the puzzle that, you know, I think our organization would need as we grow. And I think as we start to build a portfolio, it's probably someone uh, or multiple individuals on, the, on more of the asset management side and build up that team to really oversee the execution, which we pride ourselves on. Um, and then obviously just building out, um, I think, investor relations, capital markets type individuals as we grow as well to, to manage our investor base. And, and then obviously acquisitions people. I mean, we're right now staying lean, but, you know, it's, it's always there's always a need for, you know, whether it's a, an acquisition of analyst associate or maybe someone that's a little bit more senior that can really help source deals too. There's definitely a need. And I think obviously 
seven years ago, it was a lot harder to find talent down here in South Florida. Um, most of my, you know, talent I would find, you'd have to find in New York and bring them down. Now you're finally starting to see more of that talent locally. Uh, one, I mean, I'm, I'm on the board of the University of Miami Real Estate School. I'm also on the board of the University of Florida Real Estate School. So I'm trying to always support the local Florida um, schools and uh, and also find talent within the state because that's obviously the easiest uh, way to, to bring in new young talent. But I would say, you know, talent coming from New York, from Chicago, from LA, from all over the country now is coming to Miami. So it's not as hard of a sell as it maybe it once was 10 years ago to get them to come down and join. So it's definitely encouraging to see the quality of people coming here. And so I'm always kind of, I would say keeping a short list of people that I've met that I'm like, wow, this person is impressive. Maybe it's not going to have a need for that, right? Doesn't mean they want to come work for me, but you know, keep people on my radar. 100%. And I'm sure you're going to see a lot of talent in the coming months. Maybe you could talk about sort of your edge. You've got a lot going on. You're a young guy. You've got a long road in front of you. You've already done a lot. What are the type of messages you tell yourself every day as you go through this? Obviously, you talked about your favorite quote and you sort of greedy and people are fearful and people are greedy. But conceptually, you're clearly very talented at what you're doing, but it's a lot of pressure. People are looking to you. Investors are looking to you to perform. You're sort of coming out of this very hot market on the micro level and location and the broader economy. How do you talk to yourself when you're on the line, you know, pull the trigger on a deal or not, or having a certain conviction? How do you manage that voice in your head that says, you know, Scott, maybe this is something we should avoid? Or, or, or how do you ultimately decide that something is right for you to do despite the stress involved with it? You know, it's, it's a good, it's a good question. I, um, you know, sometimes I always, I think I, I get in my head sometimes and it always, it tends to happen a lot late at night when you're laying in bed and you can't sleep at like, you know, one, two in the morning. Um, and you go down these rabbit holes, but there is pressure, there is stress and, and you, you just got to kind of clear your mind and think through it. And obviously I think it's also having a, a good, not only team internally, but I think team externally. So whether that's a mentor, advisor, investors that you can bounce things off of over time and just make sure, you know, you're not overthinking things and having a gut check. I mean, Building that network of, of, of people around you, I think, is is key. And so I, you know, I, I've always been a big believer in the strategic partner model, where you know it makes sense to you know co GP and bring in a partner that brings some other expertise to a, a project that maybe I don't, and we complement each other on. It. So I, I'm always, I'd rather own half of a big portfolio of great performing assets than all of a smaller portfolio of you know assets that maybe could be performing better, right? So I think having great partners is is also a big part of it. Wonderful, you're really entrenched in your local markets. Any other markets? I mean, the Southeast generally you're looking at besides just pretty close to home? Yeah. I mean, look, I think both coasts of Florida, so Palm Beach, even north, you know, going north of the Space Coast down to Miami, I love. Tampa down to Naples, that whole corridor I love too. Uh, and then, yeah, we, we've been, look, we have our eye on other Southeastern markets like Atlanta, like Raleigh-Durham, Nashville. We actually, with Tricera, did, did acquire an office building there earlier this year. So there are other markets we like, but um Fortunately, right now, we're seeing enough deal flow and opportunity closer to home that we don't need to stress geographically. So again, I'm just trying to stay a little disciplined since we're still early on in this new venture. Uh, I think over time, we'll open it up geographically and, and go to some new markets. That's great. And what do you think the new year is going to hold? Obviously, rates are anybody's guess. So I won't put you on the spot with that. That's, that's sort of an annoying question. But on a macro level, there's so much happening no one knows up or down. Obviously, you're, you're a young guy, long-term investor. What do you see ahead for this year besides just sort of the course in your own world? Yeah, I think 23, right? I think it's, there's probably probably still going to be some pain. Everyone, you know, everyone's talking about it with the, you know, an imminent recession of some sort coming, how drastic, no one knows. But I think with that, 
brings opportunity. So I'm actually optimistic that there's going to be a lot of opportunity next year. I think that there's going to be more price discovery. And I think there's going to be at some point some better clarity on the stabilization of rates where they are. Because, you know, it's, it's been a roller coaster this year with how quickly Fed's raising rates and pumping, you know. So uh, hopefully next year there's a little more discovery and call it stabilization of where that things are heading. And I think once people can see that better, then you can start to kind of look out. And again, I think one of the reasons why banks are, are struggling right now for a large part is because, look, they're in the business of managing risk. And I think they're struggling to quantify risk right now. And, and I think that's that's the crux of why a lot of challenges are happening. And so hopefully next year there's a little bit more clarity as we kind of look forward and, and, and that helps ease things up. 100%. Well said. Well, listen, it's been a great conversation with you, Scott. We're, we're pumped to see the next level, the deal flow. Congrats on the imminent closing today or Monday. You've been a wonderful guest. Anything else you wish I would have asked that I did not that otherwise you'd want to share? Uh, no, look, I appreciate the time. And yeah, we definitely let me know when you're coming back down to Miami so I can take you out for a drink. Definitely. For sure. Great seeing you. Continued good luck on everything. And we'll talk soon. Thanks Sounds again. good. All right. Thank care. you. Thank you for joining the Dealmaker's Edge. Don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a five-star rating so more people can follow the conversation.